All right, we're recording. All right. Hello and welcome to a special supplemental episode for your reconsideration, the podcast where we re-examine best picture races and determine if the Academy got it right. And today we're going to be looking at some films that came out in 1992 that were eligible for the 1993 Academy Awards but did not get nominated for best picture. I'm Devin. And I'm Kyle. And let's get into it. So our first movie is The Player. The Player, directed by Robert Altman and written by Michael Tolkien, based on the novel, his novel of the same name. Tagline. Everything you ever heard is true. A Hollywood studio <laughs> executive is being sent death threats by a writer whose script he rejected. But which one? Hmm. Hmm. Okay. He rejects a lot of scripts, so... Anybody can be mad at him, and he's trying to figure out exactly who it is. That's kind of what it's about, yeah. <laughs> like the first 20 minutes. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you want to know some fun facts about the player? I sure do, Devin. Well, one, it was uh, produced by Fine Line Features. Uh, so Robert Allman had troubles with the Hollywood studio system in the 1970s after a number of studio films lost money or had trouble finding audiences despite the critical praise and cult adulation they received. Altman continued to work outside the studios in the late 1970s and throughout the 1980s. Although it was distributed by Fine Line Features rather than a major studio, um, Fine Line Features was a division of New Line Cinema, the player was Altman's comeback to making films in Hollywood. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a, I'm back and fuck you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so the opening sequence of this film lasts 7 minutes and 47 seconds without an edit, and 15 takes were required to shoot the scene. It is... An impressive scene. I will say that. Yeah. And also there are... Wait, did you mention that's one take? Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, I'm sorry. Without an edit. You see, you're not listening to yeah. what I'm saying. No, I heard you. All right. And there are 65 celebrity cameos in this film. That's insane. I think I caught like 20. <laughs> when they were like at the end, they like do a list of all the people who played themselves. And I was like, well, I missed a yeah, lot of those sure. people. <laughs> Probably just quick shots like at the award ceremony. Yeah. For sure. What did you think about the player card? This was your pick, right? It was, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I've I only ever seen like a couple scenes from it in film school, um, so I was really looking forward to kind of tackling it. Robert Altman did get, I mean, it got several Oscar nominations, correct? But he got nominated for director for it, so mm-hmm. I just thought in choosing, like, I would choose one that was, uh, you know, got some nominations, but not necessarily best picture. Obviously, I do think it's always interesting when a when a film gets nominated for best director, but not best picture. <laughs> Yeah, I think I got best best editing too, which mm-hmm. is rare for you know film to get best picture nomination and or to get a best editing nomination, not best picture. Usually, editing is filled with the best picture nominations. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was really looking forward to it. Um, typical Altman film with you know overlapping dialogue and um, just misogyny. Like, yeah, mis- typical Altman. <laughs> yeah, I mean definitely. <laughs> Definitely. That opening shot is really fun, though. And, and they even make fun of it during talking about there's a character that keeps talking about his favorite long takes in movies. Yeah. And then, like, it's very meta. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's something I appreciate. It's, it is this little like jab at Hollywood, but it's all in good fun. And I mean, everybody involved is, you know, playing to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely took some turns. Like you were saying, the kind of synopsis really does sum up like the first act of the movie. Uh, but then he eventually, you know, he he kills a writer, uh, accidental. Although his intentions to even meet up with him are, yeah, it's are kind of you're kind of questionable. Like, I mean, obviously he's just kind of dealing with this threat in in the way, you know, he's trying to resolve it mm-hmm. in any way he can, and then it leads to a scuffle that ends in a death. But then, you know, there's a little remorse shown when he starts making it look like it was a it was a robbery. It was a right. He like ro- immediately he, he never even considers maybe doing the right thing yeah no no it just immediately does it and then you know the rest plays out he starts seeing the guy he killed's girlfriend and uh despite the fact that he has a girlfriend yeah i just don't even want to. and i should mention all this is playing kind of like kind of an the overarching thing too is that he believes he is on his way out as executive producer at the studio yeah he's like trying to save his career exactly so uh so there's just like a lot going on in his life right now and mm-hmm. he's just trying to he's trying to survive in this system and uh spoiler he does so uh to you know to the chagrin of the whole industry i guess <laughs> now that you've but, spoiled the whole movie for everyone. wow also did i say chagrin yeah i think i had shogun so in my head and <laughs> which is where we see tonight by the way no 
uh, the chagrin. But yeah. Um, so did you like it? I did. Like overall, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it was great. Um, just good. Yeah. Again, I liked a lot of the things it did. Uh, will I ever watch it again? Probably not. Um, it's that kind of thing. It was. It was. It was fine. You know, it was well better than fine. But yeah. Uh, I did enjoy a lot about. It. I'm glad I saw it. Yeah, it was interesting. It was a wild ride. I didn't really know anything about it going into it. Um, so it, I mean, it was, but the thing that too is like, it's built as a comedy. Like I'm pretty sure, and not that the Golden Globes are like the end all decision on if a movie's a comedy or not, but it competed as a comedy at the Golden Globes. And it, for me, like it wasn't really, there were like funny parts, but then I feel like the whole middle was like just really serious. And then the end I thought was like legitimately really funny. Like the jokes that were like this whole thing, they're trying to make this movie and the guy, the the writers, you know, very, uh, he's got some strong opinions that there's going to be no stars and it's going to have a yeah. sad ending and I don't care if people like it or not. And then at the end, it's got like Joy Roberts and Bruce Willis, yeah. it, which has been the joke through the whole, like I liked that payoff at the very end of that joke, yeah. but like everything else, I was just like, I don't. I don't know. And I, I'm a person who like loves an anti-hero, but I wouldn't even call, you know, that character, the lead character in this an anti-hero. He's just an awful person. So it's yeah. just not fun for me to watch him like get away with being awful. Right. And I also like, I went into this, like, um, I don't have a lot of experience with Robert Altman movies, but, um, we watched mash for this podcast a couple seasons ago and the misogyny in that film was like, upsetting to me the level of it was upsetting and and in this film it wasn't like as bad but there i think i was just like on guard for it because i was just like ready for and the way female characters are treated in this film is not good i mean they they literally only exist to be like the only like name like major if you can call them major character female characters in the movie like only serve to like be his girlfriend essentially like yeah and there's no and then the girl that he like ends up with there's no real her character is not developed enough to explain why she would be going for him after her boyfriend just got murdered. <laughs> like, right. There's like she, no explanation. She's probably for considered it. like a very free spirited artistic type, but yeah, you're right. It's like not justified to any degree. Yeah. And it seems to me like as a woman, if some man, the man who like last saw my boyfriend alive comes to my house and is like, Oh, by the way, like when I called you the other night, I was actually like watching you through the window yeah. I would react oh, differently. And I feel which, like most women would react differently. Dude, I have to question uh, my humanity when I think that that is like literally the best scene in the entire movie is when he calls from outside this house and watches this woman as he speaks to I her. I mean, it was an interesting film like, in a so movie. I'm just saying enough. if a man was, first of all, if a man was like in my house, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. He's like, by the way, I was like stalking you. I started your window last night. I'd be mean, like, yeah okay, I need you to leave. Not yeah, like, right. you know what? Let's go on a date. Like that wouldn't, right. and I, I just feel like, uh, I, I will say it's a man's the, point the, of view. The guy, the character who died, I mean, did not seem like the most likable person. So but it know, was young Vincent D'Onofrio. So. No, but I mean like maybe good riddance, you know, for her. <laughs> although, I mean, although I also don't know how she kept affording this house in Pasadena with not having a job. And he obviously was not like a working writer. You know, none of it really of made it sense. sense but <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but there were a lot of unexplained things. Yeah, for sure. Because then at the, there was that one thing when they were like at the spa, when then he's like, "Are you even from Iceland?" And she was like, "Maybe not." And I was like, "What?" Yeah, I don't like, know. I don't I'm understand what you're though. talking about. I honestly like really enjoyed her character. Like, I, I mean, I, I understand when you break it down to a character level, it not you know uh, properly servicing like a female voice, but also like every time she talked, I like loved her. So because you're a man. I know, right? It's like built for me. I get yes. it. No, I get it. I get it. I honestly just thought she was just like one of the more pleasurable characters of the story, though, because she wasn't evil. She was a bit like wacky. Like, I didn't understand what was happening, yeah. but like, I did enjoy her, yeah. her scene presence. Because honestly, I don't I don't know who she is either. Like, no, for, you know, movie about a casting movie a no like, name with people. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I would say the second lead almost. And, mm -hmm. you know, doesn't have a. I didn't know who she was. So I, I like, I really liked her presence, but um, there's so many great, like just like any Altman movie, it's an ensemble piece to a degree and so many good performances in this movie. Like I honestly, mm -hmm. like I loved, I love Peter Gallagher. Yeah. I like, love Peter Gallagher. And yeah. Everything. <laughs> I mean, he's just being Peter Gallagher, which just rules. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, I don't know. There's a, 
litany of stuff, but Bruce, uh, or not Bruce, um, where am I? Well, Bruce Willis does make a cameo, yeah. obviously, but no, Burt Reynolds. I love like oh, yeah, Burt Reynolds. Reynolds little shows up and just, he's being Burt Reynolds. It's interesting because you always hear that Bruce, Burt Reynolds is like an asshole in Hollywood and he certainly just yeah. leans into that yeah. for the, for playing himself, which I thought was kind of a cool joke. It was funny. Cher's um, in there. Cher makes a cameo. I mean. John Cusack. Mm-hmm. Angelica Houston. Let's Angelica just name Houston. all 65. Yes. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Angelica Houston and John Cusack were having lunch with I know, which Peter I'm like, Gallagher. do they hang out? That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like a fun little just like inside Hollywood kind of. It also, oh, this is the thing too I was thinking yeah. while I was watching. Like movies like this also just make me think like, God, it looks so exhausting to be part of, of this industry. Like yeah. every time you go somewhere, it's like, oh, hey, this person yeah. that I know. And now I'm trying to, I have to try to you know move my career forward when i just was trying to grab some breakfast like oh right i think i think it's honestly so interesting like paying a light on that you know like i thought that was really cool there's a line in there too i can't think of what it was now but like it was about where they made deals and now i can't think of where it was but i remember hearing at one point the smoking section at award shows is where like a lot of deals are made. And I thought that was like really interesting to hear. You know what I mean? That is funny. But there was a line in the movie referencing something like that too. Like I, f- I forgot what the joke was, but it was some like weird location. I have this is pointless to talk about now. Yeah. But it's just like, cause that's where I'm going to make the deal. Or whatever. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. I love little things like that. Yeah. I do love, again, it's mostly just this nod piece to like what we love. And that's what I appreciate mostly. And also to like, I, although I hate Tim Robbins's character and I generally don't like Tim Robbins as a, as, I mean, I'm not gonna say oh. I don't like him as a person, but I don't like necessarily like the roles he's in typically. Hmm. I did like him here. I, I thought he was a good choice for the role. Yeah, I thought he was. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it worked really, really well. Um, but yeah, uh, the player, yeah. The player. You want to know what other people thought about it? Sure. Well, it has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 84%, a critic score of 98%, and the critics' consensus reads, Bitingly cynical without succumbing to bitterness, the player is one of the all-time great Hollywood satires and an ensemble-driven highlight of the Altman oeuvre. Oeuvre. Am I saying that right? Oeuvre. 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 Oh, wait. Oeuvre. I think it's oeuvre. 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 No. No. What's that? That's goodbye. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big part of his goodbye. The long goodbye. <laughs> the long goodbye. Another Robert Altman movie. Wow. Um, at the box office, the player made $28.9 million. It was nominated for three Oscars, like we said, including Best Director, but it won zero. And as far as its legacy, it's not been named to any notable lists. What What was the other award? So director, editing, and what? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't put you that didn't down. You didn't do that research, huh? I didn't write it down on that one. Okay. I'm over here, I to being, making sure that I wasn't wrong about saying the long goodbye was the name of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look up. Yeah, it's a pretty I'll... generic title, so I just, but. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I'm trying to Elliot Gould, by the way, if you haven't seen The Long Goodbye, it's this really kind of cool 70s noir movie based on um, a Raymond Chandler story. I love um, Elliot Gould. Yeah. Who doesn't? That's true. Probably an ex-wife. Barbara. Streisand? Yes. Was his ex-wife? Yeah, they were married. They have a kid together. Oh, man, I had no idea. <laughs> it was their son was in um was how that, was that, that movie ki- she directed um Prince of Tides. Oh yeah. Their son was in that. Yeah. Is uh that has to be the most like interesting looking kids because they both yeah. have very interesting looks. He looks a lot like his dad, honestly. Oh, that's. I don't know if that's fortunate or unfortunate. I mean, I don't yeah, know. young Elliot Gould. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll give you that. Maybe I'm just saying more about myself, but <laughs> <laughs> I can't find it. So someone else will have to. You'll have to Google yourself if you want to know what else the player was nominated for. Oh, okay. All right, next up. Reservoir Dogs. Yep. Okay. Oh, was that a cue to yeah, me? Yeah, I was thought you were going to oh. take it. <laughs> Reservoir Dogs, uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino, and I couldn't find who wrote it. Um, every, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a bad joke. <laughs> There's plenty of N-words in there, so clearly he did. Every dog has his day. <laughs> that was so stupid. <laughs> All right, sorry. When a simple jewelry heist goes horribly wrong, the surviving criminals begin to suspect that one of them is a police informant. 
Dun, dun, dun. So obviously, yeah, uh, his first entry as writer and director, um, mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino. Was this our, this was our joint pick? No, this was my pick, I guess. Oh, this was your pick. Kind of. Kind of. All right. Here's some fun facts about Reservoir Dogs. Which you have never seen, by the way. I have never, I've never well, seen you, any you of these had movies not seen we're talking it, so. about. Oh, that's true. Have you seen, had you seen all besides the player? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. No, I hadn't, no, I hadn't seen the player. Yeah, oh, that's, that's what, what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Quentin Tarantino had been working at Video Archives, a video store in Manhattan Beach, California, and originally planned to shoot the film with his friends on a budget of $30,000 in a 16 millimeter black and white format, which producer Lawrence Bender playing a police with producer Lawrence Bender playing a police officer. Bender gave the script to his acting teacher, whose wife gave the script to Harvey Keitel. Keitel liked it enough to sign on as co-producer, so Tarantino and Bender would have an easier job finding funding. With his assistance, they raised $1.5 million. Keitel also paid for Tarantino and Bender to host casting sessions in New York, where the duo found Steve Buscemi, Michael Madsen, and Tim Roth. Wow. Yeah. Reservoir Dogs was, according to Tarantino, influenced by Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. Tarantino said, quote, I didn't go out of my way to do a ripoff of The Killing, but I did think of it as my killing, my take on that kind of heist movie. End quote. The film's plot was suggested by the 1952 film Kansas City Confidential. Additionally, Joseph H. Lewis's 1955 film The Big Combo and Sergio Corbucci's 1966 Spaghetti Western Django inspired the scene where a police officer is tortured in a chair. Tarantino has denied that he plagiarized with Reservoir Dogs and insisted that he does homages. Oh, sure. (laughs) Having the main characters named after colors was first seen in the 1974 film The Taking of Pelham 123. And the film also contains key elements similar to those found in Ringo Lamb's 1987 film City on Fire. The title for the film came from a customer at the video archives who requested uh louis mal's 1987 film au revoir les, Af- les enfants but mispronounced mm. the title reservoir <laughs> that's where you got the title apparently because the what the fuck does that the mean? title i don't understand what the title means like it's honestly i hate it that's why i, I think it's so that funny that the tagline so has something to do with yeah. the title because the title has nothing to do with the movie <laughs> right it's honestly like one of the worst titles in history I like, hate the thing this movie. Is, I think and we just forgive cool... it because it's like it's 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 so in our lexicon now. You That's know? true. I think the title is like a cool title. Like I don't know what it means. But I'm like, oh, Reservoir Dogs. That sounds cool. Does it? But what it has, but it means about? it's one of those things that like sounds cool but means nothing. Ah, like, <laughs> like, oh, it's like the lyrics of a killer Reservoir song. Reservoir Dogs, yes. <laughs> right on. All right. So this was my pick, even though kind of, even though I'm not a Tarantino fan. <laughs> why did i do this you ask i don't know (laughs) (laughs) no i was honestly like interested i all the tarantino movies that i've seen have been his later movies this is his well this is his early yeah i need to tell you she has not seen pulp fiction i have not so don't judge me too harshly or his best movie what's his best movie jackie brown jackie brown baby yeah no the before this movie the most recent tarantino movie i saw was death proof so take my opinion with a grain of salt (laughs) but (laughs) But um, I was interested to see his first uh, foray into directing because, you know, I just I just thought it'd be interesting. I've heard that his earlier work is is better, so I thought that maybe I would enjoy it more. Hmm, that's interesting. And I honestly did. I I liked this movie. I liked a lot about it. I think that it definitely felt like someone's first um foray into directing and it also felt very much like a writer directing his own script because there's so like the dialogue is very good i do think that it's well written dialogue wise and um but there's just so many long long scenes of just people talking because a director's not going to cut right what he thinks are his greatest lines so it almost seemed to me seems like if i were if i didn't know anything about it that it was like based on a play Oh, yeah. And there's just some scenes that he filmed outside of it to make it more expansive. But like it very much seems because it's it's primarily one setting. Right. Besides some flashbacks. Yeah. Well, that's what I really liked about it, because like one of the problems that I have with some of the later Tarantino movies is like the violence is um, too much for me. I'm not I'm not a big fan of violence. And I know like in this movie, I read like some stuff like people thought that the violence in this movie was too over the top, specifically like the ear cutting scene. But I think that, like. I think this film is so unviolent and it just, it's one of these things too, where I feel like 
the more resources a director gets sometimes hinder him too much because I love the fact that this film is about a heist that we never see. Yeah. We know like they talk about what happens, but we never see it. And that makes it more interesting to me. Whereas I think if, you know, he was making this movie now with all the money and power he has behind him, we would definitely see this bloodbath of a jewelry heist. You know what I mean? Right, right. And I really prefer not seeing it. I think it makes it a more interesting film that way. No, right. Absolutely. You know, and like when I had first seen this film, um, I mean, probably I think I've only probably seen it twice before in its entirety. One was in middle school and one was in high school. And before, like, I really had a grasp on like how movies worked, like what was really like now looking at it, it's interesting because it's like, for instance, we never see the robbery. That's clearly like budget constraints. Right. You know what I mean? Like he, like he wrote knowing that he couldn't film that big of a scene. Right. He wrote what he knew he could film. Exactly. And I and I admire that. I do. I admire that such a great deal. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the infamous ear cutting scene. And we were talking about this the other night. But like the way it's filmed the, is so the way it's filmed in this like coverage. one sh- in this one shot. You know, it moves over so you don't see the gruesomeness of the ear cutting. And then the camera then follows Michael Madsen's character outside as he goes to his trunk and then back into the warehouse. It's all one take again. And then now we see the gruesome, you know, ear bleeding out the police officer's head, which, re- which legitimately that shot just gave crew enough time to, to, to apply that makeup yeah. and the prosthetics. I thought that was ge- like, ge- you know, it's fun to see that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I admire little things like that. Like I admire that this is uh, like, that this is a that this is a freshman effort, like I, I a first effort. I I admire that such a great deal. Whereas like if this came along as like his sixth feature or any directors really mm-hmm. like into their career, you know I don't know that then it's then it's more of a choice. And I like the fact that it's not a choice. I like that it's a constraint. I yeah. like that you're playing with what you have. I really think a lot of times you get more creative work out of having constraints. Out of absolutely like saying like well we don't That's have the money to do this so yeah. No, that's. I think that's a fact. That's I mean, sometimes get... it pays off and sometimes it doesn't, but yeah, for sure. Like the the thing is, like you don't know. You wouldn't know. Like you're gonna see that movie if you're not thinking about this behind the scenes stuff. You're gonna see that movie as it's just it's an interesting storytelling device, and it's it truly is. It truly mm-hmm. is. But yeah, for sure. I definitely can see why when this movie came out, people were like. I'm going to keep our eyes on Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, you know? no, for sure, for sure. For, for sure. Um, As far as, like, there's obviously some very problematic things with this movie. Extremely that, problematic, Devin. With Tarantino in general, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, they say the N-word a lot for a movie filled with white men written by a white man. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason for it. Like, we were saying when we, when we were watching it, like, I understand sometimes people, writers will like put that in their movies to like signify that a person is bad. Like they'll use racism or misogyny to be like, oh, this is a bad person. But everything these characters did signified that they were bad people. I mean, they're literally criminals. Yeah. We didn't need them also just like it comes. The bottom line to me is that it seems like Quentin Tarantino thinks the N word is cool. He thinks it sounds cool. And so he has his character say it for that reason. Mm-hmm. that's what it feels like to me mm-hmm. and that's unfortunate and it's i don't know i don't think it's something that a director i don't know i'd like to think it's not something a director would get away with today who knows but right but it, it is a little uncomfortable because, like, when it happens it can be argued that like you go back and you look at some of his other films that feature like black characters saying the word sure that's and, different. and, and that's a little it's a little bit more justifiable obviously but yeah, you can you look at this movie with no people of color in it, and they're all just and there's one person of color in it. Who's that? Who? The Tim Roths, like the police officer. Who's oh yeah, him. yeah, yeah. You're right. I'm sorry. Minor role. I, I didn't. Yeah, I yeah. It's that. not a big part. Uh, that was a flashback type thing. But yeah, all of our leads, all of our 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 uh, you know people on the cover, like they're all white, and it's it just feels very. It seems completely unnecessary. It does. It like does. you could have conveyed this like they could have said this had the same shared the same stories without using that word. Yeah. And it would have held the same significance. And I mean, we can legitimately go to like again, I know these are villains, but like that is not what you're selling. Right? Like yeah, these are bad guys, they're criminals pulling off a job, but you know your audience is supposed to like at least some of these characters, right? Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if he just purposely uses like even like misogyny or like the whole like no tipping thing as as again another way to vilify these people but it just it honestly feels like you just wanted to write that scene right like someone 
either you know or you you yourself had that idea once. And people come at him and they make fun of him for like the no tipping thing. Mm-hmm. But like even just the Madonna stuff and and, mm-hmm. and whatever. It's just like it seems like it's an interesting way to jump into these characters' lives. Like they're just having this random conversation. And honestly, if you sit around a table of guys, you hear some shit like this. Sure. But like, so I've heard. I don't. I've never experienced it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like older guys. Like your your dad's lunch. I'm sure is a very like fly on the wall type of situation. I don't want to know. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't mean it bad. But um, but I don't know. It's just an interesting when when looking back at it, his like first movie. It's just like. I would just have some questions, you mm-hmm. know, on like why yeah. you chose what you what you chose to include and whatnot. But yeah, which I feel like he has been questioned about it, and I don't think he's ever given any sort of answer that I find because maybe he can't. But... You know, and honestly, even if he was just like I was young, but like, the problem is he still doesn't. No, I know. <laughs> I mean, I know. I do. I feel like he's. I feel like he's come a long way as as far as like how he uses it and where he uses it. Sure, but. I would just love him to like own up to him and be like, I was, listen, I was a young, dumb kid who didn't like, which, yeah. which I mean, like, I mean, obviously a lot's changed in the last several years. And it's so easy to say from our opinion versus how, I don't know how I, I would like to know exactly how I felt when watching this when I was like 14 years old. Sure. Did that bother me? Did that catch me off guard? I don't know. Did I know any people of color at that age? Actually, not really. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I mean, exposure and whatnot. I mean, we, we can go down a whole litany of stuff for that but it's just sure i do want to say sorry go ahead no i'm no i'm sorry it, i just like people should i i honestly feel like people should just like keep an eye out when when reviewing that movie you know 30 years later yeah and i just, don't think it should take away like i think what he made here is like a very like it deserves all the status that it has in film history yes, in my opinion yes. but i also think we need to like look at films that have achieved that kind of status and we can still question why they yes, make certain choices exactly like you know actually i went to letterbox and i see like a lot of the people i you know i know on there and they're giving it five stars and what and then my question is like but are you looking at it through like the lens of today like because again what i've given this movie a five stars 15 years ago like yes does that justify it being a perfect film now because it is kind of that seems so nonsensical it seems like you shouldn't have included that like yeah that's really a conversation to be had and but that's what i also respect about all things like this we go back and we look at the work of uh polanski you know i mean there's a conversation to have every time i feel like you discuss one of his movies Mm -hmm. because there's obviously you have to talk about the movie but then you can talk about the artist as well Mm-hmm. I'm not asking you to go down this route right now. I'm, I'm not going to go down I'm this just, route right I'm just now. like pointing to, in a different direction of yes. just, you know. Um, but yeah. One one thing I too I want to say about this movie is um, a few years ago, someone mentioned to me that there's some like heavy gay themes in this film. And mm. so I was kind of, I didn't want to mention it to you going in because I didn't want to like change your perception of it or anything. But mm-hmm. then I got to look at it kind of through that lens. And if you look at uh, Harvey Keitel's character and, and Tim, Tim Roth's, Roth's character. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily. I don't think it's gay. I think it's just no, but they you, care about each other. Exactly, but it's kind of crazy to see in a movie. It's like it's almost like juxtaposition within the film because the film is these ultra mean, ultra violent people, you know. But there is this like honest relationship within. He yeah. truly cares about another man. I think that is one of the more interesting aspects is they are the like really hardened criminal criminals and like violent and all this stuff. But then the core of the story is really about this like tenderness between these two men, you know, yeah, like he gave Which up information because he was honestly just establishing a relationship with this person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The one, the one fun fact I kind of want to end this on, you talked about oh, yeah. in the beginning, they have that Madonna conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a fact you told me, but um, Madonna was a fan of the film and she sent Quentin Tarantino a signed copy of her documentary, Truth or Dare. And it was signed like, Dear Quentin, it's not about dick, it's about love. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love. <laughs> yeah, that is great. That is great. So right. what would you like? Let, let's go letterbox five star rating scale. What would you give Reservoir Dogs? And um, Why? I would give it, I would probably give it like four stars looking at it as Quentin Tarantino's first feature film. Yeah, I think I would do four. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree. Um, I would definitely like, again, going back, looking at it, you know, it's not obviously my first go around. 
um, looking at it as his first feature, just as a freshman effort in general from anybody. But I, again, like I just have to go back to being like the things that I think it's ignorant to would not justify a perfect rating from me. Right. Well, and I mean, and not just that does one, it's very hard. I don't give many things a perfect rating on Letterboxd, but, sure. um, they have to be like legitimately one of my favorite movies, but, um, for me too, like, I think that there are some, there's some plot things that are a little wonky. There's like, a, some of the performances are not great. And, um, <laughs> so that, I mean, like those reasons too, I wouldn't sure. give it a perfect score, but sure. But overall, I mean, it is it is obviously a very impressive film, and yes. and everyone loves it for their own reasons, and I think they're all justified. For sure. Absolutely. What's that? You want to know what other people think about it? Okay. No, not really. Let's move on. So, next film. <laughs> so, it has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 94%, a critic score of 92%, and the consensus is thrumming with intelligence and energy. Reservoir Dogs opens Quentin Tarantino's filmmaking career with hard-hitting style. At the box office, it made $2.8 million, so not a lot. That's no, it's good for an independent movie, though. It was not nominated for any awards. and Well, the thing, too, about the box, it didn't do well at the box office, and, like, what I was reading is most people did not watch it until after Pulp Fiction came out, and then people oh. loved Pulp Fiction so much they went back and watched Reservoir Interesting. That's really interesting. Um, as far as his legacy, it's not been named to a lot of notable lists, but it was named the greatest independent film of all time by Empire Magazine. Interesting. Empire out of the UK? Isn't that where Empire is based? No, I wouldn't know. Doesn't that make sense, though? Sure. <laughs> That's fine. I don't know. <laughs> Why does that make sense? Because they had an empire? A lot of people had an empire. Yeah. It could be based out of Rome. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Their offices are right across the street from the Vatican. That's right. <laughs> there you call it. Uh, are we done now? Mm-hmm. Okay. Next on the list, our joint pick. This was our consensus pick. Our Spike oh. Lee joint. I see what you're doing. I see yeah. what you're doing. Okay. Uh, Malcolm X, by Sp- directed by Spike Lee, written by Spike Lee and Arnold Pearl, based on X's biography by Malcolm X and Alex Haley. No uh, tagline for this film, but why would you need it? A tribute to the controversial black activist and leader of the struggle for black liberation. That's actually kind of an edited version of a synopsis because all of the synopsis I could find on um, IMDb and Letterboxd kind of villainized him a bit. Like, not really, Hmm. but, like, they really emphasized that he was a criminal and and mentioned, like, I just feel like they mentioned everything for, like, kind of the wrong reasons, but that could have just been my vibe. But I felt that was, like, part of a sentence, and I thought that's a perfect... Yeah, I mean, it's a biopic of Malcolm X. Like, what else do you need yeah, to know exactly. about it? Exactly, exactly. All right, well, I'll tell you some fun facts about it. I got a lot. I went crazy this morning with facts, apparently. A lot more than I thought there was here. Okay, ready. Buckle yourself in. You look apprehensive. <laughs> I just, I just, am I supposed to respond? Okay, click. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would have been funny. Uh. <laughs> All right. Producer Marvin Wirth acquired the rights to the autobiography of Malcolm Elks in 1967 and in 1968 commissioned a script based on the book by James Baldwin, James Baldwin, who was later joined by Arnold Pearl, hmm. a screenwriter who had been a victim of McCarthy era blacklisting. Ooh. However, the screenplay took longer to develop than anticipated and Pearl died in 1971. Several authors attempted drafts, including David Mamet, David Bradley, Charles Fuller and Calder Willingham. Once Spike Lee took over as director, he rewrote the Baldwin-Pearl script. Due to the revisions, the Baldwin family asked the producer to take his name off the credits. Thus, Malcolm X only credits Pearl and Lee as the writers, and and Malcolm X and Alex Haley as the authors of the autobiography of Malcolm X. I didn't get Lee. Lee wasn't on any of the sites, so my apologies for leaving him off. Oh, wait. Yeah, I said that. Spike Lee. Spike Lee, yeah. I was like, what? (laughs) I'm like, it was this leaper. No, I'm dumb. I just no, it's a long day. I just thought that was interesting that James Baldwin. Yeah, some think, of it was his, but they took his name off. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Or how much of like Mamet or the other writers are on there too? Because as long as you don't contribute a significant portion, right? Or did he like literally no, lose their draft? He lost their drafts. He just oh, okay, worked okay. off of the Baldwin and Pearl draft. Okay. All right. Once Warner Brothers agreed to the project, they initially wanted Academy Award nominated Canadian film director Norman Jewison to direct the film. Jewison was the director of the seminal civil rights film in the heat of the night and was able to bring Denzel Washington into the project to play Malcolm X. 
A protest erupted over the fact that a white director was slated to make the film, and Spike Lee was one of the main voices of criticism. Since college, he had considered a film adaptation of the autobiography of Malcolm X to be a dream project. Lee and others felt that it was appropriate that only a black person could direct Malcolm X. After the public outcry against Jewison, Worth came to the conclusion that, quote, it needed a black director at this point. It was insurmountable the other way. That's a grave responsibility here. Right. How can they at that turn say, no, we're going to go with this white guy. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I love that. They forced the hand. I like that. So Jewison left the project, though he noted he gave up the movie not because of the protests, but because he could not reconcile Malcolm's private and public lives and was unsatisfied with Charles Fuller's script. Lee confirmed Jewison's position, stating, quote, if Norman actually thought he could do it, he would have really fought me. But he bowed <laughs> out gracefully. <laughs> Dude, I love Spike Lee, man. All right. Mm-hmm. A month before the film was released, Lee asked that media outlets send black journalists to interview him. The request proved controversial. Lee clarified that he was not barring white interviewers from interviewing him, but that he felt, given the subject matter of the film, that black writers have, quote, more insight about Malcolm than white writers. The request was turned on by the Los Angeles Times, but several others agreed, including Premier Magazine, Vogue, Interview, and Rolling Stone. The editor of Premier noted that the request created internal discussions that resulted in changes at the magazine. Quote, had we had a history of putting a lot of black writers on stories about the movie industry, we'd be in a stronger position, but we didn't. It was an interesting challenge he laid down. It caused some personal changes. We've hired a black writer and black editor. Awesome. Yes. And Malcolm X is the first non-documentary and the first American film to be given permission to film in Mecca. No shit. Mm -hmm. But they had to get a second crew because non-muslims are not allowed in mecca so like spike lee couldn't go in dude fuck yes <laughs> yeah. that's dope that's yeah. honestly pretty dope though what do you think about malcolm x uh i mean i truly truly loved it um i had seen it before in high school i believe and i remember i mean i dug it then but like fuck if uh this isn't even more relevant today mm-hmm. than it was then um so man i really appreciate everything about it. I was as i was telling you last night i think it goes through these these Whereas like biographies can be so um, cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. I really, I think he, I think Spike really approached this movie in like all the different phases of, uh, as far as what Malcolm, like what degree he was living. For. Well, how did I word it last night? I'm sorry. Like who he was basically trying to be or who he was listening to. So yeah, like it opens like influences it, on Yeah. Life. So it opens up. I mean. The father he, figure. Yeah, I mean you're right. That's that's super true, right? But it op- it opens up with you know he's I don't even know what to call it. They're the guys are like burning their hair to to straighten. They're relaxing it. it. Yeah, I don't know what that's called. I'm sorry. Yeah. So they're relaxing their hair, you know, to to make it more white. And he even goes like the white. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I mean he knows that's gonna get him farther in life is trying to be like a white person, you know. And he's living by this under the society of like you have to be white to succeed. Then he goes for this like. He goes in into uh, a criminal life, and then he's trying to like again do, battle that success. And he starts working with a guy who's a career criminal. He's like the mastermind of this little organization or whatever. And he does everything he says, but then it gets to a point where you know what? That's not enough anymore, right? And he ends up going to jail. Then he's he's lost again. And now it's now it's Allah. Now it's 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 Islam. Elijah Muhammad. Eli- and, and Elijah Muhammad, yes, is what brings him out. And uh, that's what, you know, he, he starts speaking for Elijah Muhammad as the voice of the minister of Islam, of the nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. And he's living every day by by Elijah Muhammad's words, and he's preaching that, and he's, he's kind of coming into himself. And then it's not until you know, he breaks away from that and realizes, you know, he does this journey for God. And... Uh, that's where he truly finds where he visits Mecca, where then he truly finds himself and his voice and what he wants to do. And then, you know, the rest. But mm-hmm. I just I don't I find it interesting. He was always kind of like yeah, living under following somebody else's dream or what he thought he had to do. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought I, I really liked how it was broken like down emulating like other people until he finally like discovered himself, discovered what he should be doing. Yeah. Right. Which I mean, I feel like is this is you know, a very obviously common struggle, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But obviously this one dealt far more so with black culture. I mean, it's mm-hmm. all, it's, it's all over this movie from, I mean, every little thing from again, relaxing the hair to, to preferring white women mm-hmm. and dealing with like, why it is black men, you know, go after white women. And like, 
is there mm-hmm. history to that? You know, is, mm-hmm. is right? And I just like every little thing. And then Laura, his first, you know, like black girlfriend in there who doesn't put out or whatever. And he kind of leaves her behind because he's he's fooling around with uh, Ruth. No, Sally, Sophia. I don't remember. Now. I'm just throwing out a bunch <laughs> of names here. But then it kind of just shows like as he's going throughout. So he, so this is in the very beginning of the film when, you know, he's he's just trying to succeed as, you know, in this white world. Uh, and then to the point where now he's out and he's 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 a he's a proud member of the nation of Islam, and you see like she's just this good Christian girl in the beginning, and then it's almost like the maybe I'm speak maybe I'm obviously speaking from a place that like I personally probably shouldn't, but like it felt to me that it was the 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 repercussions of what Malcolm was trying to do later was show that, you know, black people had to, like, figure out their place in the world before they could coexist with another race. So, like, mm-hmm. right, like, like, they had to do all these things for themselves to really, like, honor themselves and embrace their culture and embrace, embrace their heritage. Um, and it kind of shows, like, the problems with seeing a white woman and, like, what does that do to black women then when black men... Mm-hmm. are chasing white women only and so it kind of shows laura she then becomes like she gets in she gets into the wrong people she's dating a drug addict and then later she's she's on the streets uh uh selling herself you know what i mean and i just i just i love what that kind of says i mean it's a fucked up thing but like yeah. i love what that kind of what i love how that mirrors like what he's trying to go for mm-hmm. i guess i guess I'm, I'm just sorry i feel like i'm talking in circles <laughs> no, it's okay. it was just like a little element of the film that i love maybe i'm having a i'm kind of having a hard time vocalizing it but i just feel like this movie spike lee's movie is so i don't know man like this other guy i don't know who he is really this other director but like this movie feels like spike lee had his grasp on it Mm-hmm. and truly made it his own and put a mixture of like what he believes and what Malcolm X believes, you know, all into this one kind of thing that is only there to empower black people, mm-hmm. um, which is awesome. So I'm sorry. I just talked for like 10 minutes. That's okay. Um, I agree. I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, I think that it, it you know, I think Spike Lee was honestly the perfect person to direct it. And the fact that they ever considered anyone else is a problem. And like, I think that, I mean, the way that Spike Lee is able to always, and like all of his movies, like incorporate, um, real life footage and real life things into the narrative. Like the movie opens with footage from the Rodney King beating. Yes. And it's just like, and then the end, the end montage is like one of the most moving things I've ever seen in a film. Like it was so beautiful. Dude, he's the fucking king of that. Yeah, like, he is. It's amazing. I mean, what he did recently with the Five Bloods, or before that with Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. Like fuck. Yeah. It's really really impressive, and I think that it's you know I was saying before because it's a very long movie as well, like three half hours, three hours. I don't know. It's very three long. and a half. Yeah. Three yeah. and a half. It's like three hours and twenty minutes. It was two discs, and um. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, like I would have cut stuff from the beginning. And I do think like that's what I said to you. But I th- it's really interesting. And like I'm I didn't go to school for film, so I don't I don't know. But he did. And so I just feel like, you know, the tone changes so much from like the beginning when he is being like more of a criminal and a hustler and all that stuff where they're wearing like the really bright zoot suits and like. There's almost like a comic quality to it. And there's that big, long, extended dance. Oh, dance, oh my God. Which I'm like, I know that this must be referencing stuff. And I just sure. don't know because I don't have that kind of knowledge that Spike Lee does. But I'm just like, I can see, you know what I mean? I can just like feel that he's putting in all these other like things in there. And because, I mean, it does, you can look at it one way and it is very much like a typical biopic. You know, it starts when he's young and it goes until he dies and you know, but there's all these like other like little touches that are so unlike other biopics. Um, just the way that the tone goes from all those like bright colors and all that, like mm-hmm. it very like fake looking to then by the end, it's like all like neutral, muted, very realistic tones. Like, I just think that there's there's so many layers to it. And 
I mean, that's the difference between having someone just make a movie and having someone who really cares and loves and feels deeply about it making art. Right. And, I, and you know, and I, you said the thing about, about yeah, you at the beginning of the movie because it felt like a whole different movie from like mm-hmm. the latter half of the Malcolm X we know. But again, I think with what Spike was really trying to do, which was almost this more like poetic approach to a mm-hmm. biopic. Yeah, I think it was important for that stuff to be there. Like I mm-hmm. see your point because trust me, I fucking hate long movies. <laughs> I know. But I didn't this one. I didn't even no, like, honestly didn't feel the length. No, because I think it was so important to do those chapters. And if 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 anything I said before five minutes ago made any sense like that's part of the reason why did it make any sense yeah it made sense i'll be honest with me there yeah we go. there was a there we go okay <laughs> uh i don't know sorry i'm just rambling um uh oh that air uh no uh but yeah like i mean and even like I just like love little touches. Like, I mean, you were, I didn't know about this controversy with who was going to direct this movie. And even just the fact then it becomes a black filmmaker in a predominantly, obviously white industry. And you take, dude, the fucking, the fucking titles, like the intro with the X, with the flag, oh my God, the flag so... burning, the flag, the fucking Patton flag. Yeah, I know. It opens exactly like Patton. Like Patton. <laughs> There's a speech behind it, except yes. we don't see the character. The flag starts fucking burning to reveal an X with like the American flag pattern on it. Yes. And it is like the dope. He's immediately like, fuck that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And this is this is us. And like, I just. Oh, fuck, dude. I know. I just res- I don't know, man. I just respect him being like all over this movie. Yes. Well, and I, because th- the thing I was reading too, they were like Spike Lee became like the only person director because he literally was like the only black director who, right. I mean, they was viable, who had like made something that was successful before. Sure. But I'm like, I can't imagine anyone else making it. So like, I just love it. And I also like one of the things I want to speak to on it is that, you know, it's artistic and it's beautiful and it's like moving, but it also was very educational for me. Like, yeah. And I don't know if it's just like as a white person or whatever, but, like, I feel like the most. I ever one I don't think we learned about Malcolm X in school at all and I feel like the most if we did the most that was ever said he was kind of like this you know opposite force to Martin Luther King Jr. where Martin Luther King was you know turned the other cheek and peaceful protests and that sort of thing and Malcolm X was you know no like the opposite of that and I think that this film shows how more nuanced his argument was than what it's presented to us in in school. school you know like he you know, I thought it was interesting. He says in like one of his speeches, like he's never advocated for violence. All he said is that black people should defend themselves when violence is being perpetrated against them. Right. Which I'm like, that's very fair. Like, right. Absolutely. You're right. I hundred. And that's kind of actually, I'm, that's along the lines of why I edited down the synopsis. Right. Because it talks more about the things that are like kind of untrue and then right. already paint him as the character you knew about in school rather than right. what this movie kind of brings to light. Yeah, and I think that's why this movie also like hits a little harder right now during our our current climate where I think that I think that the things that Malcolm X was preaching about then are still obviously very relevant now and I feel like finally, you know, how many 40 how long has it been? I don't know math. But like 60 something years later, you know, I feel like people are finally coming around to like the idea of like, oh no, it's really bullshit to expect people to just take this day in and day out and not fight against it. Right. You know what I mean? I feel like finally white people are, are realizing that that's not viable. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, absolutely. Malcolm X is saying nothing different than what we, than what has still ha- needs to be said today. Right. You know, not by voices like us, right. Necessarily, no. but like, I just, it's fucking insane that I'm seeing the same stuff in this movie coming from Malcolm X and I'm hearing the same stuff at a protest like 60 years later. Right. What the fuck? Yeah. Well, that's just it. Like the, the movie opening with the footage from Rodney King, Yeah. which is, you know, very similar to footage that we're still seeing. Right. I mean, because this movie came out, you know, no 30 something years ago. So like, dude. and that caused a national outrage and now people are just rooting for the fucking police. You know, well, okay, it caused riots and people were still probably on the police's side in 1992. I just want to say that. But like That's fair. Cuz I mean, those police officers all got acquitted too in 1992. So Yeah, no, no, right. But 
It's just the reason that these films continue to be relevant, unfortunately, is because things have not changed in any substantial degree. Yeah. Except I do, I mean, I do want to, I don't know. Like, there's a reason, you mentioned it already before, with the way Spike Lee intercuts footage. The fact that he's doing that in a film from night that he filmed in 1992 mm-hmm. or 1991 mm-hmm. and still doing it in a film he films in 2018 mm-hmm. goes to show that we have not made any fucking progress. Right. My only hope is that, like, I, f- I feel like for me there are more people now understanding what's going on i still think there's a lot of people that don't and it's still a huge problem and there's laws need to change policy needs to change and the government needs to change but that starts with minds changing and i do feel like that's happening at least a little bit more than maybe even in 1992 was yeah that's my hopeful note no absolutely (laughs) and you know i think like you know like when it comes to like obviously we're talking about this as a supplemental film it should have been nominated for Best Picture. It goes yes. to show, I don't know if it was the controversy. Of the t- like the, Hollywood apparently, like obviously took some kind of step against it or didn't give it the consideration it honestly deserved. Yeah, I feel like they just didn't consider it to be of the same caliber or something. I don't know. I can't understand why it wouldn't be. Well, we, we can't try to justify that. But No. But I mean, like, obviously, like, I don't mean to sound lame or whatever, but this movie, like, we just said, like, and it would take like reading the actual like autobiography or actual first, you know, um, like primary resource stuff or whatever to truly understand or truly try to better understand who Malcolm X was. But even a movie like this with exposure that I trust, like coming from Spike Lee, coming from a black American who, who obviously shames, shares the same struggles, like as enlightening more to the person of who, El- who Malcolm, X, a- a- Malcolm X is and who he stood f- and what he stood for. Like, it goes to show that, like, honestly, movies, as much as they shouldn't be, like, the educational, like, oh, I watched the movie, so I understand something. Right. It certainly is a conversation starter. It opens the it's, door, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a fire start. Like, you're, you can now, you know, pers- like, continue to pursue that knowledge. And I think this is a strong case for that. Absolutely. I was wondering, we talked about, it was a travesty about, um... Spike Lee not being nominated and the film not being nominated, but Denzel Washington was nominated and lost. Yeah. How do you feel about that? It's it's ludicrous. I mean, it he is. lost against Al Pacino yelling. Scent of a woman. Like, yeah. So this is what I was saying to you last night. This is the problem when the Academy Awards is behind in their award giving. Like they didn't give Al Pacino an Oscar right. for the Godfather movies or for Dog Day Afternoon or anything else he was actually good in. So they're like, oh, we'll give it to him for a son of a woman. So and they didn't give this to Denzel Washington and they don't give it to him for Philadelphia and they don't give it to him for Glory. So they're like, oh, we'll give it to him for Training Day. Which I'm sure he's good. I've not seen Training Day, but like Oh, you mean the movie where he plays a crooked cop? Right, where he like, plays like the stereotypical like whatever. But it's just it's that problem if they're constantly can catch up that like but I also feel like it's one of these things like they gave that award to Al Pacino because they were like, oh, well, it's Al Pacino and it's not like there's any other. It's not like someone else deserves it more. But right. like Denzel Washington gave the most like the performance is amazing. And like the thing is, like I was saying, he's Denzel Washington. He's like very familiar to me. to most people at this point. But I never once like was like taken out of it being like, oh, that's Denzel Washington. I was like fully believable that he was Malcolm X and he looks not a lot like Malcolm X. So I just think that no. like it's such a his performance is just so it like goes down to the bone. You know what I mean? Like he like embodies him so thoroughly. Yeah. Like the, like the, I just, it's insane. He did not win the Oscar. It is. It's a, it's a fucking travesty. It is. Like it, it really, really is. Like, like it just sparks the whole, I mean, it honestly, like it just sparks the whole thing over again. Right. But Mm -hmm. it's a shame. It's a damn shame. That it is. I mean, it reminds me of two, actually. Like, this is this is random as fuck, but, like, do the right thing mm-hmm. and and Sex, Lies, and Videotape played the same year at Cannes. Damn. And Sex, Lies, and Videotape took everything. Huh. But, like, you tell me which film is more important 40 years later. Mm-hmm. Wait, is that 40? No, I'm 30, so it's 30 years <laughs> later. <laughs> 30 years later. Like... You try fuck looking back ten years after that. Like I love Sex Lies and Videotape. Do not get me wrong. Yes. And it is a force to be reckoned with again from a first time director. Hmm. But like kind of bland too. 
when you compare yes. it to fucking do the right thing. Like it's insane. I, I, he has been dealing with this. Like I just, I, well, isn't I mean, like when he got nominated for best director for Black Klansman, that's the first time he was nominated, right? For best director. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, it he is. started making movies in the, in 89. I know. And he didn't get nominated until 2018. And it's true too, that the movies that I like, most people like talk about a lot outside of like the essential, you know, like do the right thing or, or, uh, Malcolm X. People just mention his like he should have got recognized for like the movies that he basically made starring all white people. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like that's a sh- you know, it's like he's I he's flying under their fucking radar because very black centric movies, very like unrelatable to the to the demographic that has typically been filled with Academy voters. Yeah, you know? which is why I, that needs to change. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, we're just speaking to a problem everybody obviously knows about. Right. I know Oscar's I just, so white, right? <laughs> And I, I know we're just sounding like a couple, uh, what did they label us? Woketopians. <laughs> yes. But obviously, you know, that lens that we're looking at things through is not going to fucking change. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, people just need, we need to get used to it. We need to not feel bad about it. People, it's, it's, it's the way things are going to go from now. So. Hopefully. Don't Maybe this hopefully. is his year. Maybe this is his year with the five bloods. Oh man, but I don't think he deserves it this year, <laughs> Devin. Why you got to do that to me? got call me out on the podcast. I didn't particularly like The Five Bloods that much, okay? I know. I almost want to like watch it again though because I feel like maybe I just like wasn't in the right mindset no, when we watched it. No, it. it didn't. Okay. It didn't feel What I do think is interesting is that like in The Five Bloods like there's a lot of every time people hug they do that like double yeah. take and the, they it was in Malcolm X. What too. is that? I've always seen it with like fights. Like they use it in like kung fu movies to like emphasize the action. So what is he trying to emphasize? Is he trying to emphasize like the connection Conne- between right. people? I'm wondering, right? Because yeah. each time it was, it was an honest connection. Yeah. Whether it was like the first time meeting or just general like love and respect for somebody. Right. Right. I, is that saying something against, you know, men hugging? Because a lot of men when it happens too. Yeah. Is it something like? You know, we can't look at this as like not a real thing. Like it's okay, man. Hug it out. Like Right. People like, you know, the, the tap thing. Like means I'm not gay. We're going to hug, but I'm not gay. Is that what that means? I think so. <laughs> That's funny. It's called like a bro hug. I'm sure. trying to like I don't really remember it. I don't think people really do that anymore. But it, I mean, it is like a very real thing. Like, yeah, I, I feel like I love the affection these people show one another. Maybe it's just his because like you they are like kind of like quick hugs, but maybe it's his way of like elongating them and be like this is like important still like Could it's be. still i don't know you're right i don't know but i thought that was interesting i don't know dead air again why are you just staring at me i don't know i like your face oh you're so <laughs> sweet all right do you have anything else you want to say about it before i go into what other people thought i mean I, did i say it was a masterpiece already because <laughs> i would legitimately call this a masterpiece i would too it's astounding it is and maybe that part of it's because it's big you know what I mean? It's just, it's just it kind is. of epic, it's an epic in his, for in sure. his ouvre, 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 in his filmography. Ouvre. Okay, <laughs> uh, I guess pronounce that. Um, but I mean, it just it, it truly is. It truly is masterful, and 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 it's, you know, the movie, Denzel Washington, Spike Lee. It just feels like this trinity of you know, like I don't know. It's it's great. It's truly great. Mm-hmm. Those are those like those three will be synonymous for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can't think of one of those people without thinking about the other two. For sure. All right. So other people it has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of ninety one percent, critic score of eighty eight percent, and the consensus is anchored by a powerful performance from Denzel Washington. Spike Lee's biopic of legendary civil rights leader Malcolm X brings his autobiography to life with an epic sweep and a nuanced message. Okay. At the box office, it made $55.9 million. Um, at the Oscars, it was nominated for two awards and won zero. Ruth Carter was also nominated for Best Costumes, and she Ooh. later went on to become the first black person to win for Best Costume Design for Black Panther. So yay, Ruth Carter. As far as its legacy, it was preserved in the National Film Registry in 2010. Alrighty, so those were our three... Are three films from three auteurs, you could say. Uh, what, was that, what was that accent? <laughs> it's like a German accent for auteurs. Auteurs. <laughs> Get these auteurs out here. Um, so the question now we have to ask is, uh, do you think any of these films 
should have replaced some Best Picture nominees. Let me remind you what movies were nominated for Best Picture for this year. We had uh, Scent of a Woman. We had Howard's End. We had The Crying Game. We had uh, A Few Good Men. And the winner, Unforgiven. So, which three would you replace? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, the two I would keep. Like, legitimately, I'd be fine losing. Like, Unforgiven, I understand, right? Unforgiven, I I, I have no problem with that being nominated. It was a good movie. But the same goes for A Few Good Men. I don't know if I would have necessarily assumed. Like, if I watched that, I don't know if I would have necessarily assumed, oh, this definitely got nominated for Best Picture. Right. But it is is a very good movie. It's entertaining. I would chop those other three off and put all three of these in. See, okay, I would like just for the sake of no, I wouldn't put the player in honestly. Okay, cut. I would keep Howard's End. Let that be nominated because it's the only female-led movie that was nominated in the Year of the Woman. It's a fair point. Um, but I would so I would chop the Crying Game and Scent of a Woman because they're actual not good, and then I would put in Reservoir Dogs and Malcolm X. And honestly, I think that Malcolm X should have won. (laughs) Yeah, I really actually respect what you just said for sure. Um, as I was coming from my male point of view, (laughs) and uh, I was like, "Fuck women." Um, but no, I agree with Howard's End. That is that is a fair point to include it because. You're right. There's no female-led movies otherwise. No. There's, in fact, they were hardly feature women at all. Uh, Reservoir Dogs honestly <laughs> literally had no women yeah. in it. No, there was a waitress. The waitress. <laughs> who doesn't get to, who tries? They try not to tip her. Or right. one, one person, I guess, tries when, to tip her. And then they force him to. So. For, yeah. Which is, I guess, the payoff of that. They're all like, fuck you, basically. Like, right. they're trying to hear him. But the fact that you put that conversation even in, like, I guarantee. Here's my huge pro- fucking problem with it. I guarantee people listen to Steve Buscemi's character and were like, that's a good fucking point. And then proceeded to then act like him for the rest of their fucking lives. Right. That's my issue with choosing to include something like that in a movie. And I know like it is not Quentin Tarantino's. I know it's not his, like, that wasn't his idea. Like mm-hmm. I, I understand that wasn't his intention. And like, that's a hard thing to just assume your audience is dumb and is going to like take something like that. But like, yeah, cause I feel like that whole scene is trying to point out that Steve Buscemi is that's wrong, that he's incorrect. Like he's the only person who feels that way. No one else. And like, yeah, but they're all criminals. No. I know, but I also, but that also gets to the point of like my biggest problem with Quentin Tarantino is Quentin Tarantino fans, and so like, <laughs> I just feel like, yeah, there probably were some like, dude, like bros who like watched that movie yeah. and were like, yeah, I shouldn't tip these waitresses, <laughs> like, and that's my biggest problem with Tarantino. So. Biggest problem is when there's a lot, there's a, there's that, there's that. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> anyway, um. Moving on. What, we got we, off on what, what are we talking about? You're talking about which movies would uh, we I agree with nominate. you. Malcolm X should have won. Yes. It should have won. And you know what? It would have been a fucking statement if it did. And like honestly think about like the world but it would, would be but, different sorry, if I Malcolm say X won Buzz Picture in 1993. Like I agree. And I want to I do want to say though by by what I just said, I don't mean I, like the movie is far more than just a statement. Like I'm not trying to say, you know what I mean? I'm not saying they should have just done it to make the statement. Mm-hmm. They should have done it cuz the movie fucking deserves it. Right. It is the best picture. See, that's just it. People, I feel like people sometimes assume like n- like now that they're trying to diversify more and they're like, oh, that movie only got nominated because it's a black director, because it's black leads and blah, blah, blah. Where it's like, but look at this. For so many years, movies didn't get nominated because they were black. So it's not about right. nominating things just because they're black. It's just about stopping not na- nominating things because they're made by people Which of color. Which this like, is that's a clear it. instance of. Right. It's that's a clear, what I'm, like, yeah. that's, I feel like that's the distinction more people need to like grasp. Yeah. Is that like the door has been closed to to people of color filmmakers, to women filmmakers for so long that now when we include them, it's not like we're including them because we they have to. It's just that they're finally not including them because they don't want to. Does that make sense? Am I yeah, making sense? No, okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Also, if, if I was an Academy of, Award, uh, Academy voter in 1992... And they're obviously sending out a VHS at this point. And I get this four VHS <laughs> stack to watch Malcolm X. I'm going to be like, <laughs> I'm going to weigh that option. You know what I mean? I'm sure it was just two VHSs. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking anyway. Uh, it, was, like, it was It's two. like a giant X across like a whole like, line of just probably That's probably VHS. a dope cover, honestly. I bet that was what it is. I, I, bet, I bet it's a big I mean, Now I want to find that VHS because that spine is probably dope. Yeah. But yeah, here we are. So we've rambled on for the supplemental, so it's probably the length of a regular episode at this point. But um. it's almost the length of a, of Malcolm X. <laughs> no, p- please don't let the length deter you on that movie. It doesn't feel no, that yeah, long. Watch honestly. it. It's, it's actually it's so broken up that it's like it doesn't feel like it's yeah. 
and you get a little intermission to go switch out your discs. Oh, yeah. when you if you're watching it. the DVD like us, yeah. uh, we could not. We we had to rent it. And we could not rent it on Blu-ray. So there we go. It's all. And, and holy shit, Devin. What? So our, my problem was, you know, we rent a lot of these movies. Like yes. we just rent them to stream, yeah. right? I couldn't find Malcolm X anywhere. I wonder if Criterion is going to put out Malcolm X. Ooh. Let me tell because generally when something like that happens, the rights lapse. Mm-hmm. Criterion could have bought the rights. They've yet to make an announcement, but they're not going to put the rights out there to stream anytime soon. Sure. Or they might have reverted back to Spike Lee at this point too. Like I don't know. So I'm saying that maybe there's some kind of plan. That could be for like a special you, release. Yeah, it was not available anywhere. Yeah, and right now that seems crazy to me. Well, and Criterion has like come under some criticism yes, lately exactly. by not having enough black filmmakers exactly. in their collection. Exactly. They're they're they are making an effort to do a better job. But seriously, I wonder because like right now at this point in time, why are we not pro- like when all these services are offering free like streaming of of Right. Movies by people of color. Why is Malcolm X not one of them? That's so true. So it's like maybe there's something bigger happening here, but I still think it should be free right now, or you know, it yeah, should be it out should there. Be, to view. Yeah, when they made they made a bunch of like not. those kind of movies free for, and that should have been included for sure. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, that's our supplemental. We hope you enjoyed it. Come back next week for a regular episode, or we're going to be discussing the 1953 Academy Awards. Woo woo. Bye.